Good morning and welcome. And the Lord be with you. And grace and peace to us all in the name of Christ our Lord. It is a gift to be able to share and worship with you this morning. Thank you for sharing and worship at First Church. We are especially blessed by the presence of our guests and visitors. As we pray, this is a blessed time for us all as we worship God together. And just a reminder that as we gather, you'll find some registration pads to your right or left because it helps us to know you're sharing and worship at First Church. It is also helpful to be attentive to the many opportunities that are before us, especially in this coming week. Again, we have the ministry of the Lunch Bunch each Tuesday and Thursday. This week as well, we will be a host church for uptown trick-or-treating. So uh, it is a great blessing to be able to meet our neighbors and to fellowship with them. Uh, thank you again for your contributions of candy toward the trick-or-treating event on Thursday. We're still receiving those. Uh, if you feel inclined to bring some uh, goodies by between now and Thursday, we will be there between 4 and 6. So if you'd like to volunteer to help with that, you're certainly welcome to do so as well. And then next weekend, we will be hosting, again, the Martinsville Community Care Collaborative. This is our fourth year to host this event, in which we partner with many other service agencies and Liberty University College of Osteopathic Medicine. Uh, registration actually will take place for uh, much of the dental care on Friday afternoon, and then from 7 o'clock until 4 o'clock on Saturday, we will be hosting this ministry in our Uptown Ministry Center. Still many opportunities to you, for you to volunteer. Uh, as you are attentive to the information as we find it in our bulletins. And in just a few weeks, we'll begin an Advent Bible study, uh, which you find mentioned in your bulletin as well. That will be on Monday evening, uh, November the 11th. And uh, all are welcome, child care provided. That will take place in the ministry center beginning at 5.30 on the 11th. As we worship, again, we find ourselves in the Gospel of Luke, a parable told by Jesus found only in Luke's Gospel about two men who went to pray and about the surprise that we discover as we share in this parable. I look forward to sharing that word with you. I invite us to prepare to worship God together.
I invite us to stand as we share in our call to worship. Humbly we come. From our busy, chaotic, joyful, lonely lives, we humbly come home. Home to this sacred space. To share our faith, to fellowship together, to praise our Creator. We humbly come before you, Lord. For you know and us best. Help us, Lord. To be
As we anticipate the gospel lesson, we go to God with these words of prayer as they are before us. Let us pray. Lord God of justice, you know no favorites, and show no partiality, but you have given us assurance that the prayers of the lowly pierce the clouds, their petitions reach the heavens. Look upon us who come before you, as did the penitent tax collector, and to grant that we may open ourselves with confidence in your mercy and be justified by your grace. We ask this through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And wish to invite our children to come forward as we share in our children's time. Good morning, children. to speak about prayer this morning, and I look forward to that. We speak about prayer in our gospel lesson. Good morning. So glad you're here. Sun is out. Maybe the rain has passed by. It's a beautiful day. Hope we get to enjoy it. But we have shared in the gospel of Luke recently, and we've shared a lot of talk about prayer, and that's what I would like to speak with you about, and I'm going to, to hand this to you. I invite you to take this, and we're going to learn a, a particular way to pray, and it's, it's a way by which we're going to use our hand as a model. It's called a five-finger prayer, and we're going to walk through this, and, and I'm going to invite you to follow along, because each of our fingers is going to invite us to pray for someone in particular, for some special person. So we'll start with our thumb. And as we look at our thumb, it's going to invite us to pray for people who are closest to us, because our thumb is, is closest to us, among our fingers. So our thumb is going to invite us to pray for the people who are closest to us, like mom and dad or grandparents, brothers, sisters, friends. So our thumb would remind us to pray for those closest to us, okay? And then as we make our way down, we then come to the pointer finger. And our pointer finger is going to remind us to pray as well. But it's going to remind us to pray for people who point the way for us in life. It might be like teachers, it, may, it might be pastors, it may be parents. It might be people who just help us find our way and provide guidance. So the, the, as we look at our pointer finger and it points the way, so it's going to remind us to pray for people who point the way for us, who give us instruction and guidance. Okay? And then next we come to... Our tallest finger, our, and that's going to ask us to pray for people who are real visible. We might see them on the news or as we look at our newspapers. It might be people who are like the president. It might be leaders of um, Congress. It might be people who lead us at school. It might be people who are real visible. And, and just as we uh, might be athletes, it might be celebrities, but people who are just real prominent, and we see them and we hear from them all the time. So as this finger is the tallest and the most prominent, the most visible, that finger is going to invite us to pray for people who are real prominent in our uh, society. Next, we come to our ring finger. You can see I've got my wedding ring right there. So that, that finger sometimes might be overlooked. It's, it's not as prominent as other fingers. It's kind of, it's, it's hidden there. 
And it's going to invite us to pray for maybe people who are needy or people who are weak in our society. It might be some of the, the homeless people. It might be people who are, are just having a rough time whom we might overlook like we overlooked the, this uh, ring finger. So that's going to invite us to pray for the people whom we may not see who are needy. And then finally, we come to our pinky. And that's the smallest. And it's a reminder for us to be humble, but also to pray for ourselves. So we don't want to forget ourselves because we need prayer too, but we don't exalt ourselves. We don't lift ourselves up. We come to ourselves kind of last. So that sounds like a lot, doesn't it? So I'm going to, we'll go through, again, we pray for those closest to us. We pray for those who help us find our way. We pray to those who are real visible in our society. We pray for those whom we might overlook. And then finally, we pray for ourselves. Okay, so I'm happy to share this with you. And I think it's a helpful guide to prayer. And it's a reminder, again, of, of how uh, Luke, in particular, who writes the, the gospel that we share from this morning, is always lifting up the ministry of prayer as he does today. And I hope this will help you as you pray. Okay? And I'm going to ask us to pray right now, okay? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for models of prayer. We thank you for those closest to us, our loved ones. We thank you for those who help us find our way. We pray for those who provide leadership and who are so prominent in our culture and society. We pray for those who may be in need, whom we might overlook. And finally, Lord, we pray for ourselves. We thank you for this ministry of prayer, for the many ways in which you guide us. And we pray your blessing upon these children, those close to them, in this day and the week to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, children. We have Children's Church. Thank you.
choir. Will Vaughn will lead us in the reading of the gospel lesson from Luke chapter 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all of that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he humbles himself will be exalted. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Will. Well, we have heard it said, it's, it's not bragging if you can do it. It may be a politician bragging about his or her record, a businessman or woman touting his or her numerous accomplishments, or an athlete announcing his or her greatness. If they speak the truth, we say, well, it's not really bragging. Well, so it may be with this Pharisee of whom Jesus speaks. Remember, he goes to God in prayer, we are told, but he, he uses this time of prayer as occasion to list a number of his wonderful attributes. And wonderful, impressive attributes they are. He gives to God 10% of everything he receives. He fasts not once, but twice a week. He does not extort, he is not unjust, he is not an adulterer. He is not like the tax collector who has also gone to the temple to pray. Again, it's, it's not bragging if you can do it right. True, this Pharisee is not a humble man, but it appears he's telling the truth. He also returns home as one not justified in the sight of God. The tax collector, we are told, is the one who does return home justified. Although it may be difficult for you and me to appreciate how shocking this story sounded to those who first heard it, trust me, this is shocking. Tax collectors were the most despised of persons. Employers of the government of Rome, daily reminders of the humiliating Roman occupation, shaking down their neighbors so as to support their oppressive occupiers. But it's Jesus who tells us that when it came time for this tax collector and the Pharisee to leave the temple and return to their homes, it's the tax collector, not the Pharisee, returning home justified. Shocking declaration on the part of Jesus. Now think about it. Who among us looking at these two men would prefer the company of the tax collector over that of the Pharisee? Which of these two men might we prefer within the life 
of the church. In my previous church in Colonial Heights, we found ourselves situated in something of a modest blue-collar neighborhood. The church was surrounded on all sides by residential homes. There was a city park nearby. The annual Christmas parade passed by the church on the nearby boulevard. We opened up the church as a display of hospitality. And all of this allowing for some creative outreach and ministry on the part of the church. So we instituted a Wednesday night supper for the community. We began a new service of worship with the intent of welcoming the unchurched. And as time passed, we began to see our neighbors respond to these ministries. And while generally speaking, the church responded favorably to these ministries, I also remember when our finance committee met one fall evening to address the budget for the coming year. The meeting, this meeting of the finance committee was a meeting in which we spoke of the neighbors we saw coming to these activities at the church. It was also a meeting in which there was mention of how, despite these new persons active in the life of the church, these were not persons able to offer much help and support of the budget. The mention of this fact practically diminished any excitement we had felt about new persons in the church. As if we were voicing a preference for different types of persons, perhaps better types of persons in the church. The Pharisee, perhaps. We understand the offense of the parable. I mean, we may find ourselves practically minded knowing someone has to help us pay the bills and we want persons to represent the church well and the Pharisee, well, he checks off these attributes. The tax collector, not so much. But we heard Jesus. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. Now, I don't know how easy it is for you and me to hear this declaration of Jesus. I do know that I find many of us, even us clergy, standing closer to the Pharisee than we may realize. It's not unusual for me to be in the company of pastors who find it important to tell the rest of us of their accomplishments, their achievements, their accolades of how they fast twice a week and how they tithe 10% of everything they receive. And I say this not to criticize my colleagues. I'm really no different from any of them. But I say this believing we often are unaware of how close we stand to this Pharisee. And given that we frequently stand so close to him, we may wonder just what it is that displeases Jesus, why it is that the Pharisee returns home unjustified. Two men went up to the temple to pray, Jesus says. And while this appears to be true, it also appears the nature of the prayer of each of these men is quite different. The prayer of the tax collector, 
prayer of contrition, confession, dependence upon God, an act of worship, the prayer of the Pharisee, the promotion of self. It's not the way faith is to be shaped, says Jesus. Faith is not to begin and end with self. Faith is to be focused upon the one who has made us, and which of these two men in prayer demonstrates that faith. Not only this, Jesus may ask, which of these men is more concerned with an honest presentation of himself, an honest representation of the relationship between himself and his God? You see, there's deep humility on the part of this tax collector, an honest understanding of himself. Despite his status as one despised, he's more honest about his standing before God than the Pharisee. It may be that in his honesty, in his confession, the tax collector finds salvation. We might remember the Apostle Paul, one whose life is turned around after encountering Christ, one who offers a number of letters providing guidance for followers of Jesus. In his letter to the church in Rome, Paul, whom we remember as a Pharisee, writes words which well could have been written by the tax collector, words which could be written by you and me at times. To the church in Rome, Paul confesses, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. It is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin which dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, it appears by, by way of this humility, this right understanding of the relationship between God and ourselves, there may be new beginning. This is the good news before this most despised of men, the tax collector. It is good news the Pharisee may miss because he appears more concerned with himself than with his God. And that's sad news. Because this Pharisee will not get far in faith by looking no further than himself. Sad because it's not the desire of God that he be nothing more than a prop or an accessory in our lives. One who does little more than enhance our social image. Sad because by way of his focus on self, the Pharisee shuts himself off from the life-giving relationship 
God desires with all he has made. The attitude demonstrated by the Pharisee, we really don't need any more of this, do we? In a society as divided and as polarized as ours, we don't need anyone, certainly this man of faith, making unhelpful distinction between us and them. We don't need this Pharisee dehumanizing his neighbor, treating him as if he is some object. We don't need the Pharisee creating further division within the community of faith. We already have an abundance of this, and much of it nurtured by the focus upon what is good for self as opposed to what is good for God and his church. So it's the tax collector who goes from the temple to his home as one who is justified. The despised tax collector, it is this man, Jesus says, who is made right in the eyes of God. This man who stands at some distance in the temple, this man who does not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beats his breast in repentance, speaking only these words, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I hear Jesus share this parable, and I hear good news. The good news that there is hope for this man, the good news that there is a new beginning for this tax collector. All of this is good news born of the truth he tells. All of this is good news born of his dependence upon God. And by contrast, this Pharisee using God as nothing more than prop and accessory, well, he's gone as far as he can go. What future is there for a man concerned with nothing other than self? But the tax collector is justified because he depends upon God and the not self. And he is about to see that God will take him much further than he could ever take himself. You see, what is true for this tax collector is also true for God's church. As we trust ourselves to God completely, as we approach God in all honesty, we find ourselves made right in the eyes of God. As we seek not to make distinction between ourselves and neighbor, we are made right in the eyes of God. He heals us, welcomes us into the future that he graciously prepares for us. You see, when we fully give ourselves to God, as does this tax collector, we find all things made new, and God accomplishes great things with us, and we know it is God's pleasure to do so. Now for the tax collector, he would not have at his disposal the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. This is a prayer long-standing within the Methodist tradition, which I believe the tax collector may welcome, as I believe it captures well his prayer spoken in the temple. We conclude with that prayer. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee, or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee, or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and to disposal. 
And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Stand as we sing. It's number 882, and it is before us as well. We affirm our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, and descended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And as we stand, I invite us to welcome one another as we pass the peace of Christ.
As we find our places, our ushers will come forward. We worship God with his tithes and our offerings. God, we give you thanks for this worship that is your gift to us, for the ways in which you reach out to us and bless us. And we thank you for the opportunity to worship and serve you with the offering of these gifts. You have first entrusted them to us. We return them to you with the prayer that you are glorified and your people are blessed. Amen.
go to God as we pray, and we do so with the prayers of the people. This is a responsive time of prayer in which I will name a series of petitions and conclude each petition with the words, Lord, in your mercy. I invite from you the response, hear our prayer, and invite you to name those concerns. You would like to speak as we go to God, as we pray, and then we conclude with a prayer that Christ has taught us. Let us pray. It is our prayer, O Lord, that we would come to you, that we would come to you honestly, humbly, acknowledging that you are our Lord and maker, that you are the one who stands at the beginning of our lives and at the end of our lives and holds each day in between. We pray, Lord, that you would make us right, that you would justify us, that you would move all things which would separate us from one another. Lord, reach into our lives with healing, with blessing. Help us to see the new beginning that it is your pleasure to set before us. And help us, Lord, to walk in the way that you have set before us, so that now and always we find ourselves in you. We thank you, Lord that you give to us the gift of prayer, whereby we find ourselves invited into your presence this day and every day. Help us to be those who seek and ask and knock, those who pray without ceasing. Lord, in your mercy. And hear us, Lord, as we pray for the people of this congregation. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for those who suffer and those in trouble. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for the concerns of this community. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, we pray for your world, its peoples, and its leaders. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, hear us as we pray for your church, its leaders, its members, and its mission. Lord, in your mercy. For Bishop Lewis, Denise Bates, the ministries of First Church. Lord, in your mercy. 
And Lord, hear our prayers joined with those of your saints whose presence we know now, praying as Christ has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We stand as we sing. of the love God has for us, we return to our homes made right, justified in the sight of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Go now in peace. Mm -hmm. 